Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for today's panel on leveraging habits when the world stops. And it certainly feels like the world is still stopped today, but hopefully in the future, it'll start to get going again sometime soon. I know the four of us or the five of us really would like for it to get going again, but while we're stopped, uh, I'm excited to learn from these panelists about some of the habits that they're using and some of what they're seeing uh, outside of their own cubicle or wherever they are isolated to today. And I've been fortunate to chat with over 150 remarkable people on my Intentional Performers podcast. And these people have overcome adversity, thought deeply about leadership, and have set up intentional lives for themselves to perform at their best. And the coronavirus has certainly uh, changed so much for us and created challenges for so many throughout the world. But it's really my hope that these panel discussions will help those that are in need, which are all of us. So while everyone on the panel has tremendous expertise, I also want to note that what we're going through is truly unprecedented. And there may be questions that the panelists don't have the answers to, and that's completely okay. None of us have the answers to all of what we're going through right now. And this isn't designed to give you the answer to every question you have. Instead, it's just designed to have you think deeply about how you can handle this challenging time. So with that in mind, I'd like to start with Chris and just have Chris give a, a basic introduction into his background and um, how, how he thinks about habits as well. Sure. And hey, thanks for hosting this. Um, so my name is Chris Sparks. Uh, my company is The Forcing Function. And so we think of ourselves as habits and systems educators. And I work with a lot of peak performers, so executives and investors, to help them install the habits and systems that allow them to perform at their best. Um, and probably the most interesting part of my background is I've been a professional poker player and a poker investor for the last decade. So very, very in tune to patterns in human behavior and how we can sculpt our own habitual defaults in order to do what we want to do on a more regular basis. So those could be things that we actually act upon or the precursors to that, which be the habits of thought. And essentially that's the way that I think about a habit is as our default is when willpower is low and we're stressed, when energy is low, what do we default to? And so how can we make things that are generally subconscious more conscious by designing these habits? Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing. Jake, why don't you go next? Yeah, so I'm the founder of a company called Compete Every Day. We do apparel and media. And then I'm a keynote speaker that works with sales teams, corporate teams on ideas of building grit, accountability, and, and most importantly, how do they improve their focus on the things that they control on a day-to-day -day basis. I'd echo what Chris said on habits. For me, it's just default actions that you do either knowingly or, or unknowingly uh, in any situation. Sometimes it's at the end of the day when willpower is gone. Sometimes it's first thing in the morning of just instinctual, you get out of bed and the first thing you do is turn on the TV or you go immediately grab a cup of coffee. And so with me, it's a daily process of how do I become more aware of what my habits are and then how do I make sure that they're helping move me toward where I'm trying to go versus the ones I know are preventing me from getting there. Awesome. Darren? Yeah. Hey guys. First, thanks for uh, hosting this, Brian. And it's an honor to be with you guys. Um, again, Darren McMains. I'm the director of mental skills with the San Francisco Giants. This will be my 19th year in professional baseball. 
Uh, spent seven of those as a player, five coached and managed in the minor leagues. And then this will be, uh, I guess, my seventh year working in the uh, mental performance space. Spent a year at University of Notre Dame uh, building out their mental conditioning department, working with their coaches uh, there to help just uh, implement some sports psychology practices and, and help inform uh, them uh, how to build best cultures and, and team practices. And when I think about habits, the, the one thing that I, I really focus a lot on is environment and how much our environment influences our habits. And so, you know, in creating cultures in, or in creating clubhouses or specific um, designs to our environment within the clubhouse and how that, inf uh, you know, influences our behavior, that's kind of where uh, I spend a lot of my attention. Awesome. Alan, why don't you take us home? Sure. Alan Stein, Jr., a former basketball performance coach and current keynote speaker and author of a book called Raise Your Game. Um, and man, I I'm just excited to be on here to learn from the four of you, uh, Brian and Jake, I've met in person before, but the other two gentlemen, I'm really excited to learn after reading your bios uh, and, and what you all bring to the table. Um, like you all, I'm big into habits and I, I believe there's a very direct correlation between the habits we have and our happiness and success. Uh, it's not always cause and effect, but they're incredibly correlated. So it's kind of, if you wanna see your happiness and performance improve, uh, then you need to improve your habits. and. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just excited to be a part of this. It'll be a fun discussion. Awesome, and really grateful for all of you for giving your time and energy to this. So uh, Chris, I wanna start with you. You mentioned default thoughts or thinking, and I'm curious as a poker player, what habits did you instill in yourself to compete at such a high level? And also as a coach, what habits do you leverage now to be your best self? Yeah, so I like to think that if we can understand the situations in which we perform our best, we can recreate those conditions. And so essentially as a poker player, you're making high stakes decisions every few seconds for hours on end. And so it's very critical to gain an understanding of your own thought process, how you make decisions and to be attuned to when that thought process goes awry. Um, so I, I like the term warning lights. So creating objective signals that lets you know that, hey, you're not quite thinking through this right. So you're, you're on autopilot, you're chasing losses, you're going after someone, you're getting it, letting it get a little bit personal. So that one of these objective signals happens, you're aware of, hey, I need to take a step back, I need to create some separation, regain objectivity. Um, and I think that transfers over to my work as a coach is I think, as Alan said, um, or actually, I think Darren, Darren mentioned this as far as environment that we're, you know, we're pattern driven deterministic creatures. You put us in the same situation, we're going to tend to repeat the same actions. So as a poker player, I can use this to my advantage in that I recreate the same situations in which I have an advantage. And as a coach, I'm trying to identify these patterns that without interaction are going to continue to perpetuate ways that we self-sabotage ourselves, ways that we fall short. If there's a priority that, you know, routinely is not acted upon and we expect that to just change oh we're just going to try harder we're just going to be more disciplined well no you you interact at a higher order you you change the environment and the context so to make the thing that you want to do easier to do and i think that's a very powerful frame for habits is that we don't do anything in a vacuum everything that we do makes that thing easier to do in the future and so things that we want to do 
we reduce friction, we make them easier to do. Things that we don't want to do, we remove the triggers, we add friction, we make it harder to do. And so in that way, what we do today has been chosen by the environment that we put ourselves in. Darren, I'd love to hear you go into baseball because as I'm hearing Chris talk, I'm thinking about a baseball player before they enter a batter's box or a pitcher before they take the mound. And I would just love to hear your perspective and insight being around some of the best baseball players in the world and what you've witnessed and observed as it relates to habits and defaults like Chris is talking about. Yeah, you know, I think um, I'll, just, I'll just give you kind of a specific example based on mental habits even, you know, and, um, you know, our goal is to get players to, you know, focus on the right thing at the right time. How can we simplify their thoughts to, to lock in on one thing, generally an external uh, target? You know, I've, uh, I think we all know the research out there on, on being focused on an external target versus internal, but I've also been around enough people to know that uh, there are a few guys that perform best when they are uh, thinking about a particular cue internally. So um, that being said, you know, I'll just tell you like one one coaching habit that uh, we talk to our coaches about is, Hey, if you're going to coach mechanics, like if you're going to coach something internal, how, you know, when you're talking to a hitter, have the hitter step out of the batter's box, you know, because we want to create that space, like this batter's box space. When you step inside this three foot by three foot box, we're focused on one thing and that's the baseball, you know, or for a pitcher, they're standing on the rubber, you know, and you're talking to them uh, in their bullpen. It's like, Hey, have them step off the rubber. Like this is the pitching rubber. This is not the thinking rubber. You know, and so like to begin to create, you know, that that the pitching rubber is when I step on that rubber, like I'm committed to an external target to throw this pitch where I need to throw it, you know, or a hitter. Like when I step in this three foot by three foot box, like I'm committed now to an external target, um, which is the baseball that I'm trying to hit. So uh, with that being said, you know, um, we a lot of coaches, I think, and I've been guilty of this, too, uh, you know, as a coach and a manager, um, you know, we're, we're taking batting practice and you see something. And instead of being intentional on in how we coach it, we just say, hey, hey, you know, make sure, you know, make sure you get, you know, you have a stiff front leg or, you know, make sure you stay in balance to ride your backside a little longer, whatever. And I'm just talking to them in the batter's box. Well, now um, that thought's going to come up in that same space, you know, when and then when the game shows up and be like, hey, man, lock in on the baseball. And it's like, we well, didn't coach me that way three hours earlier or have you done that the whole last week. So um, I think that's just one way in regards to you know, there's physical habits and mental habits as well. And how can we as coaches support, um, you know, support the focus that we want to see from our players. And I think it's being intentional in that space uh, in coaching as well. Alan, I see you nodding your head over there. And like Darren, you've been around some of the best basketball players in the world. And I, I'm thinking as he talked about internal and external focus, I know, uh, Darren, you're talking about like, what am I saying to myself cognitively versus am I using my eyes, internal and external, and then there's the, the uh, broad and narrow, there's different ways to, to shift our attention. And one of the things I was struck by, Alan, was Steve Nash, I think, was somebody who looked at the ball when he shot, um, and one of the best shooters of all time, whereas Ray Allen would look at the rim. And so this idea that there are actually different things that we can focus on even externally. Um, but I'm curious to get your perspective in observing and watching basketball players at the highest level and habits and routines. And what have you picked up throughout your years in, in observing and witnessing and noticing as it relates to habits and, and how they show up on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I'll actually, I'm going to take it in a slightly different tangent because the reason I was nodding my head and smiling was um, most of my work uh, before and even now as the father of three young kids is on the youth development side. And, uh, 
I'm a huge advocate for trying to get parents to stop coaching from the sidelines and to stop screaming instructions that many times uh, actually go exactly against the grain of, of what the coach has been telling them to do. Um, Follow your shot. <laughs> yes. Or even, I mean, uh, my kids played baseball for a season and I mean, the things parents would yell when the, this young person, I mean, my kids are very young is in the batter's box and they're, of course, they're well-intended. They believe that what they're saying is helping that young person. Uh, but what they don't realize, one, they're, they're actually making the environment much more chaotic. Uh, it's, much, it's much harder for these young people to process that information. And many times what they're yelling is the exact opposite of what the coach just told that player to focus on or to do. Um, I know in basketball, uh, parents love to yell generic things. You know, you're at the free throw line and every parent yells, bend your knees. Like that's not necessarily a helpful instruction. In fact, the reason they may miss the shot may have nothing to do with the bend in their knees. And now they're consciously focused on something that has nothing to do with what they need to do to perform well. So that was kind of why I was nodding is, you know, uh, hopefully maybe these gentlemen can band with me to, to put out some more material on getting parents to simply cheer and support and stop coaching from the sidelines. Cause I think that would help young people uh, not only perform at a higher level, but actually enjoy sport uh, much more immensely um, and just have some fun where they don't feel like every time they step in a batter's box, they've got 19 different instructions coming at them. That's just too much pressure on a child. Jake, compete every day is to me, I've heard all, all three, Alan, Darren, and Chris all talk about focus. So it's interesting because we're talking about habits, but you can really hear how focus impacts habits. And that phrase compete every day to me suggests hey, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to compete. And how often are we going to do it every day? It, it to me, screams focus. Um, and my definition for focus is simply directed attention, like very simple. And so talk about how you think about competing every day and, and why you think it's so important. Yeah. And the brand, as a lot of people initially look at is, is who am I going to beat today? Who, who's the person externally that I'm up against? When a core message for us is beating your own previous best. It's to show up, raise the bar. You're competing against your past self, which a key point of focus is learning how to block out the comparison voices. It's learning how to block out what other people are doing, what other people are saying, to focus on how you're going to improve what's within your control. Today, as we laugh with social media, with things all over the place, I mean, I laughed looking at the resume of, of these three guys I'm on the panel with, and I'm like, wow, like I'm so excited because of the work that they've done. But you have to train yourself when you get into those situations especially for all, I would say, five of us that have this mindset of being a high achiever, of this growth mindset of continuing to grow, of not worrying about and comparing yourself to what other people are doing, but training that focus to lock in on what you control, how you're going to show up, how you're going to do better, whether that's unsubscribing to certain emails, social media accounts, whether that's really building in how you narrow your focus on your day-to-day -day actions. Um, but that really is where the competing every day shows up because I can't control those other people. I don't control what someone else is doing. I can learn from them. I can see what there is out there, but what I need to focus on is how am I going to improve my positioning, the efforts I've given and the work that I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis so that I can reach where I'm trying to ultimately go. I'm glad you brought up comparison. And that's been something that's been brought up in most of these panel discussions, because right now we're sitting here, we're isolated. And I think a lot of people have perspective, like I'm healthy, I've got food on the table, I've got running water, 
almost everybody I've had on the panel has that perspective. And like the reality is this is, there is loss in this for everybody, whether that's loss of seeing their parents or loss of seeing their friends or loss to going out to dinner or loss of money or loss of jobs or loss of uh, a friend or a loved one. Like there's, there's different loss that's going on. Alan, when I interviewed you for the podcast, you talked about adversity and saying like, gosh, I've lived this beautiful life and I've been really fortunate and you're very open about going through a divorce and the challenges that, that come with that, but that it was the right decision for your family. But I remember you saying something to me like, gosh, Brian, I don't know if I've really experienced the adversity that can help me expedite my growth. And so I'm curious as you're going through this, your business is based off of speaking and being on the road and following your career the last couple of years. It's been clear that you've been ripping and running and, and, and doing all kinds of speaking gigs. And so I'm curious to go back to that idea of adversity and, and growth and just take me to like present day you and, and the real truth, like how are you handling this and how are you leveraging ha habits and maybe what are you shifting and changing? I'd just love to get perspective on, on how you're handling all this. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you remembered that because that was a pivotal moment when we discussed, you know, as you know, I, I'm, or as you know, Brian, maybe the other guys don't, I'm, I'm somewhat of a quote nerd and I've always loved quotes. And I remember reading one time a quote, and I cannot remember who the original author was, but it basically said the depth of your struggle will determine the height of your success. And I thought a lot about that because I haven't had very many deep struggles. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've lived a really good life and I'm incredibly thankful for that. And, and I'm not wishing adversity upon myself, but anytime I read about a story about someone that's overcome just incredible odds or, you know, they've gone bankrupt four times and now they're, they're having huge financial success. I've, I've actually played that in my mind and wondered, have I been playing it too safe? Have I not taken enough big risks to experience some extreme adversity? And has that held me back from being more successful? And I, I, I wrestle with that all of the time. I mean, even during this coronavirus, you know, I still put myself in the, the category of people that's just heavily inconvenienced by this. You know, I haven't been sick. My family hasn't been sick. No one that I know has lost their life. Uh, no, you know, I haven't been laid off. I haven't been furloughed. Uh, my business hasn't gone bankrupt. I haven't had to fire anybody. Um, I wasn't supposed to get married and have that canceled. You know, I'm not a senior playing my spring sport and have my entire season decimated. I'm just the guy that, you know, I can't get on stage and I can't go to the gym like I used to. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty insulated. So for that, I try to keep an optimistic and positive attitude and just be of service to those that are dealing with a lot more than I am. And, and I'm thankful that be in a position to hopefully continue to serve people in other ways, even though I can't get on stage. Um, and, and I'm being the eternal optimist. I do believe, you know, the pendulum will swing back and speaking will resume back to normal, maybe later this fall, maybe not till 2021, but at some point people are gonna be so starved for in-person events and so starved for the way things used to be that I'm confident my business will eventually be fine so now it's just a matter of, uh, can I stay afloat and can I serve others who are, who are struggling much worse than me? That's where my focus is now outside of just maintaining my own health and wellness and being with my kids. Brian, can I ask Alan something on that? Please. Alan, so I want to ask you because I've been in that same boat of the inner dialogue on the speaking side. And, and you and I have talked before that you're, you've been about a year, year and a half ahead of me in terms of where we are speaking in career. 
And when I was with Michael and Amy, uh, one of the things that I continually brought up is, you know, you and I are quote unquote motivational speakers. We're in the leadership space. We live in a van down by the river with Chris Farley, but we don't have those stories of I've overcome homelessness or drug addiction. And you look at where other speakers are and you can't help but start to compare. Well, those guys have incredible stories I don't relate to. And Michael and I had a conversation that I don't even know if he remembers, but one of the things he said was, how many people in your audience do you think have the same story? And I thought about that for a minute and I said, well, you know, probably most of them don't. They're probably struggling with how to go through a divorce amicably. How do I raise kids? How do I deal with balancing a career that I want to have versus maybe the one I'm quote stuck in? And so I'm curious from your standpoint, as you've been out speaking, how you've been able to leverage your story, regardless of whether you feel it's had enough adversity or not, to better connect with most people sitting in your audience that perhaps haven't had those extreme pitfalls either. Jake, who are Michael and Amy? Oh, Michael and Amy Port run Heroic Public Speaking. Uh, It's a professional speaker training program. Uh, Alan and I actually met at their conference in Florida 2017. Uh, and then have both spent time training with their team outside of Philadelphia on stagecraft and performance. Great. Thank you. Well, well, Jake, I've, as, as Brian teed up and you teed up originally, I've worked really hard over the last few years to just stop playing any resemblance of the comparison game. You know, most people think of the comparison game of thinking of the positive things that others have that you don't have, you know, they have more Instagram followers, they have a nicer car, they get better keynote fees. And that's an easy trap to fall into. Um, But I've also made sure to insulate myself and not play on the other end where saying uh, someone has overcome being homeless. So their, their story is more important to tell than mine. Uh, I don't play that comparison game. I look at it as their story is incredibly important and I'm glad that they're telling it because they lived it. But I do believe that what I have to share is also important. And I take pride in being able to share that as well. Uh, And you know, This concept of not playing the comparison game is very basic in premise, but it's definitely not easy to do. I mean, I catch myself playing it all the time. I catch myself scrolling through Facebook and and seeing one of our colleagues, even a friend, speaking on a big stage. And while I am happy for them, I'm thinking, why aren't I on that stage? Why did they not choose me? But then I can snap myself back really quickly uh, and spot that warning sign that this is not healthy for me to think or play that. Let's get back to what I can control and just have the, the optimism and knowing that if I continue to work on my craft and I can get better at what I do, then those things will simply fall into place the way that they're supposed to. And I'm at an age and have enough life experience now that I'm at peace with that. And I'm getting better by the day of not playing that comparison game. But, you know, I know, Jake, that, that your story is incredibly vital and you're the only one that can tell it from your vantage point and the way that you tell it. No one can replicate that any more than someone could replicate me or any of the other gentlemen on this panel. And you have to take pride in knowing that. And, uh, you know, uh, I think there's room for everybody. If someone's overcome homelessness, I want to hear what they have to say, but I absolutely want to hear what Jake Thompson has to say as well. Rising tide raises all ships. Two, two things. One, I love the idea that we all have a story inside our head and we talk to ourselves more than we talk to anybody else. So 
let's make sure we're clear on what that story is. And then we can share from there. And then two is more of a question for Chris, as you were talking earlier and you were talking about warning signs and the ability to self-manage and be self-aware. I was thinking about emotion. And as we're talking about habits, I think we have to have a conversation also about emotion. So I'd love to hear your perspective, Chris, and then Darren, your perspective also from a baseball lens about how emotion and habits, what's that relationship like and how do you think about it? So, so what comes up for me is the power of tracking, which I, I'm imagining you guys can relate to as well as, you know, when Alan is talking as far as, you know, this, this meta habit of improvement, that the way that you avoid harmful competition is that you ensure that you hone your own skills continuously and that that's the meta habit is that you ensure that you're improving taking small steps forward every day and the way that you make that improvement objective so are my efforts leading to desired results is having some form of objective tracking there um, so that's something that i really emphasize with all of my clients is anything that's important to you you take emotion out of it by having some form of tracking that what you're doing is leading to the results that you want. Um, I'll share a, share a recent example. One thing that I've been having clients do that seems super trivial, but has actually been really powerful is, um, you know, I, I give them an app that samples them at a random time, some point in the day. So not, you know, it's a random self sample. It doesn't know what's going to come. And it's just a notification that pops up and says one to 10, how happy are you right now? And so the powerful part about that is what we think makes us happy is not necessarily what makes us happy. And so by able to, by able by tracking this, you can start to create correlations. And so I think this is very this is very applicable to this leveraging habits when the world stops. Is all of our routines and the things that we've been basing our whole personality upon have fallen by the wayside, and we're struggling to recreate that supporting structure. And so by reestablishing what are the habits that we can be doing that make us happy, we can ensure that we put ourselves in a position to thrive in these times. Um, and I'll share one personally. Um, so when I did this exercise a while back, what really blew me away was the number one thing that was correlated with me being happy on a given day was, did I go outside? And you can see by how pale I am. I mean, I was, I was just in three weeks of self-quarantine in New York City that you know the last few weeks were not a super happy time and that led to all right i need a new environment that is more supportive of happiness and so moving to a place that i can spend a lot more time outside and that's definitely something i'm taking away is you know, reestablishing the importance of that that's something that that's really critical for me in order to perform at my best um and so yeah that that's what comes up as far as emotions is is there a way to make what is so subjective and unclear more objective because um, we're, we're, we're stuck inside the system. It's very difficult to, view, to take that outside view. Um, I, I, really, I really, really starred this idea of external internal target that Darren was talking about. Um, I, I usually discuss this as far as offline training, that when you're looking to change your own thought patterns and behavior, you need to do it outside of a game day type situation. Um, what common one that I work with clients, again, it seems very trivial, but can be very powerful, is practicing waking up. And so, you know, that's when we're most susceptible, that first moment we're in the day, that we wake up in the day, 
And, you know, if we win that first hour, we win the day. So if we start the day very lackadaisical, we hit snooze, we like hop on our phone, um, we're just kind of, you know, zombieing around, that day is going to go very differently than if we wake up right away without an alarm, we get moving, we get our body moving, emotion creates emotion, creates emotion type thing, get outside, exercise, start writing, that type of thing. And so it all starts with that very first moment of like when you got a bed is like, am I going to seize the day? And so I have clients literally practice that over and over again until it's second nature because you can't practice waking up first thing in the morning when you're waking up. You need to have done that work offline outside of the batter's box. Perfect transition to the guy who works with people in the batter's box. So Darren, what's your perspective on this? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, yeah, when I think about emotions, you know, uh, what I like to share is just look, emotions are there to inform you. They're not there to direct you. You know, I think a lot of times we think because I feel a certain way, I got to do that, you know, and I just want um, people. And again, I talk to our players all the time. Look, there's there to inform you, not there to direct you. Like we've all stepped on a stage and not been confident and done a great job. Like we've all done that, you know, we've also stepped on stage, been really confident and sucked, you know, so um, we've all had those experiences. And the same is true when you step into you know, the batter's box are on the rubber, like just because you uh, are not confident or you feel nervous uh, doesn't mean you're not going to have success, you know? And so I think well, uh, trying to separate those two, I think is really important um, and, and understand uh, for, for our players that they can separate those again. And then what I always go back to is like, um, you know, even, even with COVID-19, you know, you think about like, you know, fear is the emotion that or anxiety, what a lot of people probably feel right now. And, um, that's that's the symptom and the problem is probably really uncertainty you know it's like and so you like you go back like okay well uh instead of trying to learn how to deal with anxiety or deal with fear why don't we deal with uncertainty and so how do we create certainty in uncertain times you know or how do we do that so like well okay i want to really focus on a plan or something that i can do that i can control and the same is true for an athlete you know it's like there's a lot of uncertainty every time they step onto a ball field. They don't know they can't control the outcome of this game. They don't know what's going to happen three hours from now. They don't know the result, but their career is largely dependent on, on this game. And so how do they have certainty in this uncertain time is, well, they have a plan that they're really confident in. And I would guess it's the same for, for Chris and Jake and Alan, like anything you're doing, like if you're speaking or if you're going into uh, uh, play some poker, like there's a lot of uncertainty on how this is going to turn out, but how do you go in there and kill it? Well, you have a plan. So you've created certainty and then you've chosen to focus on, on, on the plan that you have that's going to hopefully create the outcome that you want. So, um, so that's what I talk about a lot in, in, in regards to emotion. It's like, it's like what, is that, what is that informing me to do? It's probably because my plan's not simple and clear enough. And so I need to step back, get a simple and clear plan, and then commit to that and then execute that going forward. Go ahead, Alan. No, I mean, first of all, I can't wait to listen to this replay and take notes. I'm not taking notes at the moment because I can't wait to, to write all this stuff down. And the, the stuff he just shared about emotion um, is phenomenal. But uh, I was reading something, and I can't remember where it's from. Um, this whole certainty versus uncertainty is one of the main reasons people are hoarding toilet paper uh, and some of those things. It has nothing to do with them thinking they're going to increase the frequency at which they use the restroom. It has to do with, in this time of uncertainty and panic, that's something I can have control over. You know, that's why I'm going to go buy toilet paper and bread and milk uh, because I have control over that. And it's, it's so deep rooted in their unconscious. They don't even really realize they're doing that because that's the first thing everyone seems to hoard when there's going to be any type of 
house arrest or quarantine. And I've always wondered why. And, and that's exactly why it gives them um, some sense of control uh, that makes them feel a little bit better amidst all the chaos. It's, it's interesting you're talking about control because I had a client this morning who plays pro football. He's in the NFL. And uh, in the NFL, you know, there's 11 people on offense, 11 on defense, 11 on special teams. And so it's a team sport where you can do your job really, really well. And even the quarterback can do a great job. But if the defense and special teams are doing their job, you can lose the game. So the ability to control the outcome in football is, is really pretty low. And so for this athlete, we started talking about all right, well, let's just use 11, right? Let's use that number 11. And there's 11 on special teams and 11 on, you know, the other side of the ball. So that's 33 people. So let's say you can impact, you know, the game like 3%, <laughs> like, right? If you're doing your job and, and we're not even counting coaches and all this other stuff, but let's just make it simple, dumb it down. So 3%, that's your contribution to winning which is tough for a competitive elite athlete to come to grips with. Like I only am going to control 3%. And so what we talked about is actually like, how does that athlete get it to 5%? And what happens if that athlete is contributing at 1%? And so are they performing better than the average or are they worse than the average? And then we started to think about, and this goes back to sort of Chris talking about measuring um, and tracking, like what would a great game look like if he was operating at 5%? And oh, by the way, what if you had, let's call it defense, a whole defense with players that were operating at 5% and now you're at 55% instead of 33%. That's what a dominant defense looks, looks like. So I love that idea of trying to take something that others think are subjective and turning it into something that's objective. And I think there are definitely habits that we do daily and there are habits that we do in preparation. And ideally we're bringing some of our performance mindset into, into our preparation. And there's also a reality of people having a game day or something you got for, for Jake and Alan, when you're on stage for Chris, maybe it's poker, or maybe it's when you're with a client or Darren, like, you know, you guys have 162 of these things. Maybe this year will be a little different, but you know, how do I also make sure that I'm consistent with the things that I can control and, and quantifying how I show up? Because there is no such thing as consistency of outcome, but there can be a consistency of process. And so to me, that just triggered that. Um, and so Chris, thanks for igniting it. And then when I heard all you talk about that, that really came up for me. Jake, I, I'd be curious to get your perspective on um, you, you are constantly putting out content. And it seems like you have a habit of delivering an energy and I'm going to use the word positivity, even though I think that word gets overused, but you have an enthusiasm about you. And so as people are maybe struggling right now, I'd love to get into your mindset and how you're thinking about this time and sharing information with others and, and how you are, are you creating new habits? Are you doing what you've always done? How are you thinking about wrestling with the challenges that we're all in right now? Yeah. And I think trying to maintain the optimism uh, versus I know what you said with positivity. And, and I actually had that conversation the other day and I, I lean more toward optimism is looking for opportunity in the adversity. It's not always happy go lucky, uh, but it's understanding you'll find it. Uh, content for me has always been a daily thing where I'm writing every day uh, with Alan and I, you know, it's out, a lot of outbound sales every day, which right now you can't. 
Um, hey, Jim, can, nobody- you, can, you, can you talk about that? Because that, yeah. that is something that's very real for pretty much everybody, um, with the exception of few, maybe less so for Darren, but for, for, for most people right now, they, they're used to grabbing coffee or lunch or picking up the phone and doing a conversation. And there is this unknown about sales. And I'm hearing it from my executive clients right now. Like, what do I do right now? Do I sell? How do I think about it? What's your perspective on that? Yeah. And I've got two real approaches. I have a B2B business, which is the speaking. And then we have a B2C business, which is our apparel. Um, And that's been an ongoing conversation because I think the biggest challenge right now for most people is how do I sell effectively? Because we know a good portion of Americans still have income. They're still getting a paycheck. They're just working from home. It's a new normal. And then you have a, a vast majority as evidenced by the unemployment applications that have no income. And so how do you ask for a sale in a time when you don't really know where your audience is. And for me on the speaking side, there's just all unknowns. We don't know when these events are going to come back online. And so it's really hard to reach out and pitch yourself as speaking when they don't even know if they're going to have an event. So what we've tried to do, and and I've especially tried to do during this time is how can we be a better resource? Uh, Looking at it, not from a marketing sales perspective, but from a brand building perspective. And that's been, um, I've traded my morning sales calls. Um, I got it from a friend of mine named Marcus Brock. He calls it bookending his days. Every morning for 30 minutes and every afternoon at the end of the day for 30 minutes, he does sales calls. And he shared that like two years ago. And I was like, that's genius. And so every day I'd kind of done that. I'd find leads or do sales. Well, now I can't do that. So I'm using that time to create more content especially video right now, because as people are in isolation, as people are at home in quarantine, just the fact of having some video a little more face-to-face helps bridge that human connection. Um, And I've also tried to be pretty transparent with our Facebook community and our customer base, especially of saying, hey, listen, I've lost some gigs. I've had a terrible mental day. Uh, Here's how I'm going to rebound from it. Here's kind of my response to bad days. Here's what you can take away and use. Not, hey, buy this t-shirt to keep our business going, not book me for this event, but how can we provide resources and content that will help you with where you are right now, whether you're adjusting to normal or you're looking for a new job, knowing that if we can continue to support those audiences, help them build new habits, restructure the habits that they are finding themselves uh, needing to build. Um, then once we get out of this, we've earned more than earned, I would think, the permission to ask for a sale at that point. Um, and then on the speaking side, it just helps us stay relevant, top of mind with companies that are, like you said, trying to adjust. How do we ask for a sale? How do we work with our team remotely? How can I just provide you value of reaching out to my clients and say, hey, can I do a quick video for your team on tips from working from home? Or here's why it's a great opportunity to focus on building your grit by focusing on what you can do today. Um, And I think that's what you're starting to see with some of these companies. Some have completely switched gears with what they produce to producing masks and products that are helping other organizations. And don't mistake for a minute that once those companies go back to producing their normal stuff, customers are going to remember that. They're going to remember that a company like Rogue Fitness out of Ohio pretty much stopped their equipment manufacturing to make masks, have hired now 200 extra people so that they can restart this side of the business. And now they're selling out of everything. So um, that's kind of where I think you see that struggle. And it, it's honestly a struggle. It's been one mentally I was struggling with for a couple of weeks when this started of, how do you help serve while continuing to stay in business?
any of you have any other thought on that? Yeah, go ahead, Alan. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I share, I'm in a lot of alignment with the way Jake approaches things and, and always enjoy uh, reading and watching and listening to his content. Um, a, a mutual friend of ours uh, named Phil Jones, who's uh, just a, a brilliant sales master, he's my sales guru, uh, he made an analogy that, you know, when, when someone's drowning, you don't try to sell them swimming lessons. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing right now. What you do is you extend a hand, pull them out of the water, put a warm towel around them and make sure they're doing okay. Um, and then before they get back in the water, they'll probably naturally want to figure out how to swim first. And then your course or your lesson may be more appropriate then. But when people are struggling, that's not the time. Um, you know, I think one of the most powerful things almost any business can and should be doing now is reaching out to their customers or clients um, or athletes uh, or, or students on a, on a personal basis and just saying, how are you doing? You know, are you okay? You know, some people just need someone to talk to, uh, someone to vent to, someone to cry to. Um, so how are you doing? And then the next follow-up is, what can I do to help? Or as Jake uh, said so insightfully, can I be a resource? You know, I don't have anything to sell you. I have nothing to pitch you. Um, but maybe I can share an article that might uh, help you pick your chin up. Or maybe I can connect you to a, fr a friend that I was just on a panel with that I think uh, his stuff would be very valuable. So just look to serve others. Uh, I know when this first hit, you know, in a matter of 48 hours, I lost several speaking gigs and I really thought the sky was falling. And then the next day I just kind of woke up with some peace and serenity and thought, well, if I keep looking inward at how this is affecting me, uh, I'm going to be pretty miserable for a while. So why don't I just step outside of that and see how I can pour into others and fill others buckets. And once I took the focus off of me, it, things just naturally started to feel better. I mean, I've been doing dozens of Zoom calls and conference calls and podcasts and, and stuff every week and haven't earned a single dollar doing any of them. I just want to do it because I believe it's the right thing to do. And I think leaders really show their true colors during times of adversity. And, you know, especially for, for guys that spend their time on stage, if I'm going to stand on stage when things are great and say all of these axioms and so forth, and then when things get bad, I'm not living that then I feel like I'm a fraud or a phony. So my goal is, is to live these values even more now than I ever have. And when things get back to business, I'm sure that, that I'll be just fine. It's been a common thread. All the people that have come on the panel have sort of said, I've been trying to focus externally on how I can be in service to other people. And as a result, I actually think they are doing better during this time because they have purpose and meaning. And we all know the science behind purpose and meaning and linked to happiness. Um, Chris, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go. Well, another part that's, that's really interesting is this form of, of practice. Um, and, and certainly uh, in the athletic world when we think of that. But, you know, I was in a pretty good routine of doing two or three engagements a week. And I would have a very specific routine, very specific habits that I would prepare for each event. So my practice for my, my keynote craft was inherently built into my schedule. I mean, not only was I doing several live events each month, but I had a very specific routine to practice for those. So when everything got put on ice and I haven't been on a stage in a month and don't think that I'll be on another one for three or four months, my practice has kind of evaporated and I've, I've got to start finding new means to practice my craft. And, and one of the nice things is being able to do these types of things allows me to articulate my beliefs and principles. So I'm getting some practice by being of service to others. So it's not just completely altruistic where I'm serving others. I'm still getting in some reps. 
Uh, and a couple other things I've done just, in, I don't know if this would help Jake or not, but I, I took the audio from the last keynote that I did and I put it on my iPhone and it's the only thing I listen to um, when, when I'm listening, instead of listening to music at present, I just listen to myself, not to teach myself anything, but to hear the way that I present over and over and it helps that muscle memory. Um, but it also allows me to kind of study in game film. I go, boy, I could have done a much better job telling that story. You know, I, I'm going to change this when things get back to normal. Here's a great opportunity to level up. So I think part of my new normal is figuring out how to integrate practicing my keynote when I don't have anywhere to practice it. Yeah, Alan, I love that you brought up routine because there could be something that becomes complacent with just doing the same routine over and over again and, and not necessarily improving. And so Jake, you mentioned the phone call in the morning, the phone call in the afternoon, the sales call. I'm curious, Chris, you mentioned the nature and getting out in nature being something that's important to you. I'm curious for all of you, what are new habits or what are new routines that you're noticing over the last couple of weeks that are helpful or even harmful? Like what are some routines that you're noticing might not be healthy for yourself. Uh, and I'll open it up to all four of you just to sort of go in inner and, and go inwards to sort of share like, Hey, what are some things that might help you grow? And maybe what are some things that you're noticing? And I'll go first. Like I like to drink wine and I noticed like week one of this bad boy, I got a nice uh, stack of wine. My buddy owns a wine and liquor store. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm drinking with my wife every night and you know, after week one, we sort of look at each other and we're like, this ain't going to be our routine for the next whatever amount of weeks or months we're going to be in this. And so it's starting to be more intentional about when we crack open a bottle and, and when we say we're going to have some sleepy time tea tonight and, and you know, go to bed a little bit earlier. So um, if anyone can share routines that maybe they noticed were not being helpful to them and routines that maybe they've established now that they will take with them going forward. Yeah, I'll jump in. Uh, one, I mean, I can tell you, I, I've found myself going to the pantry a lot more uh, because I'm home a lot more. <laughs> so uh, I found like, you know, I have two kiddos, a 12 and a six-year-old. And, and so we have dark chocolates that are, you know, on a higher shelf than they can see. Problem is I can see them. And so I found myself first few days uh, just crushing dark chocolate. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? So obviously it's not a helpful habit. You know, Chris, you talked earlier about uh, creating friction and reducing friction, right? So it's one of those things where I had to create some friction, made it a little bit more difficult uh, to get those dark chocolates. So now they're like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, I'll tell you a couple habits that, that um, well, they're, they're behaviors right now. I don't know if they're habit, uh, habits yet, but this is something that, that us as a family has really enjoyed, uh, you know, obviously not being on the road right now with with the giants um, affords me more time to be with the, with the kids and, and my wife, which I'm really thankful for. And, and something that we do uh, that we started on April 1st and we're going to do it through April 30th, it's two things. We're going to do a mile a day, uh, just run as a family, run for a mile, uh, which has been really cool uh, to get the kids out there doing that. Um, my brother-in-law is like an ultra marathoner. He did like a hundred mile race. And so we talked about the comparison trap earlier. Um, my wife is like, don't tell him we're doing a mile a day. Cause that's like embarrassing to the hundred mile guy, you know? Uh, but I was like, I don't care. Like miles good, you know, cause I'm used to just, you know, doing something else. I'm not worried about it. But, uh, anyway, that's been awesome. And another thing that we've been doing that our goal is from, you know, April 1st, to April 30th, that's what the, um, uh, shelter in place in Arizona has been, you know? And so 
we, we do a, uh, like a, a video blog, whatever you want to call those things where we just, we ask ourselves three questions every night. So us as a family, we sit down and we video it and it's like, Hey, what's your highlight of the day? What's one thing you're grateful for? And then the, what's one thing that made you laugh today? And so we've done that for what, what is today, April 7th or 8th, whatever it is. But you know, we've done that the last six, seven nights. Uh, and it's been an awesome routine habit where we talk about it over dinner. And then after dinner, we all sit down on the couch, put the camera in the same spot. And we just each talk real briefly about, uh, again, highlight of the day. What are we grateful for? And what's the one thing we made uh, that made us laugh today? And we're looking forward to putting that home movie together at the end of this month and just looking back and uh, kind of enjoying that. So those are uh, a couple things that we've been doing. I'm stealing that. Last night, my wife said to me, I feel like we should be documenting this. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a historic, hopefully this doesn't happen again, um, but it might. But it, it's likely that this could be a historic time in our lives. And my wife said, we've got two small kids. And she's like, we should be like documenting this or something. So I'm stealing that and running with it. And now she'll be happy that I'm locking her out with the kids right now. Cause I actually brought value to our family during this time. And then the other thing I'll tell you about the one mile run is, uh, uh, Jamie and Christian, who's the head basketball coach at George Washington university and just a really intentional, thoughtful guy. He runs a mile every single day before all this stuff. And that was just his thing. I'm going to run a mile a day and be consistent with that. And he's not running any ultras, but um, that habit um, I think has helped him remain healthy physically, mentally, emotionally uh, as well. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. Well, one, uh, I'm pretty sure your friend that, that runs the ultras probably started at one mile a day. So I, I bet he's got an appreciation for starting that. And, you know, from father to father, I think that's amazing uh, what you're modeling for your kids and, and, I mean, that's just phenomenal. You know, that's the one thing that I've really been really looking internally on is, is as a father, you know, I'm 44 years old. So for the most part, the only other major crisis I've lived through is 9-11, um, you know, this being the second. So you're talking about roughly every 20 years, I'm on pace, you know, to, to do something um, or have some type of crisis. And that means my children are going to have probably three or four major crises in, in their lives. And I want to make sure that I'm modeling the best way to approach that. So when they have their 9-11 or they have their coronavirus when they're older, they'll look back and think, man, this is how you know my father behaved when things got really tough. Uh, this was something that my dad, he had us run a mile every day and we filmed this really cool video. Like I wouldn't be surprised if when your children are older and they have their own children, that when something like this happens, they implement that with them. And I, from father to father, I just really commend you and respect you for for starting that cycle. I think that's, that's really awesome. And something that might seem as trivial as just running a mile a day is, is going to make a monumental impact uh, in their lives. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I have a couple I'd love to share. So uh, I think the theme of mind, so both on the doing and not doing would be diet. So first on the, the doing, um, paying a lot more attention to what I put into my body. And this has required a complete reframe where, you know, my life in a lot of ways in New York, especially has been completely optimized. This is something that I've been really thinking a lot about is the inverse and the downside of optimization is that it creates fragility. And I really loved what Brian said before about today, especially we need to be emphasizing consistency. Um, I think Darren's just talking about this as far as like the best plan is the plan that we're likely to follow, keeping it very simple and clear. 
And so, you know, around food, my system was completely optimized in that I had the perfect thing that I wanted to make every day and it was prepared for me by a personal chef and it was served at the exact same time. It's like I know all the macros and everything is completely optimized. And all of a sudden, when I don't have that system anymore, I find myself, oh, I'm going to eat a jar of peanut butter today because I, or I'm going to make, you know, eat a, a package of salami. It's because my system has collapsed and I had nothing there supporting. And so I've created a whole new um, emphasis and routine uh, with my partner around creating, um, creating meals. So whoop, there, goes, there goes one. I'll grab the other one. Um, so having set meal times where we create, um, you know, cook uh, lunch and dinner together. So that means, you know, pre-planning out the menu, um, you know, working together like we're working in a kitchen to, to make it. So usually, you know, I'm the sous chef because I, I've literally cooked nothing in my life and I'm very much adapting the, the stance of a beginner. Um, and then, you know, we sit down and we eat together and it's no rush. We have conversation. We ask or tell each other about our day. We're grateful, that sort of thing. And it's creating the space for it where before I saw meals as just like a way for me to get fuel for my body. And how can I reduce the time eating? How can I make it as efficient as possible? And now I'm seeing it as a very important ritual where actually creating more time for it, more beneficial. And so having more of appreciation for it and obviously using this as an opportunity to learn more about food and gain a new helpful skill. Um, the thing that I'm doing less is so paying a lot more attention to what I'm putting into my mind as far as my information diet. And so I think now we are getting inundated by news. And the, the hard part is that usually this news is just noise, things that we can completely ignore, but some of it now is actually actionable, right? The whole like years happening in weeks sort of thing, things are changing so quickly that we feel like we need to have our finger on the pulse because we might miss something. And I think it's very critical that we put constraints in place where it's like, is this net useful to us? And so for this, what this means is I've completely cut out social media. Um, I, I only check things on weekends if I can. I don't do any reading at night because I don't want it to affect my sleep. And the question I'm always asking myself is, is this actionable right now? Like if, if, I'm, if I'm not using this to make a decision, it's not urgent and it can wait. And it's keeping the things that are my own priorities first and not letting myself get pulled into the stream. Um, it's knowing when to have my office door closed and when to keep it open. I need to have it closed so I can have deep focus, but sometimes it's important to open it up to make sure that I'm doing things that are relevant, that I'm actually solving the problems that need to be solved. But it's important to have that intentionality ahead of time as far as you know, when the constraints are really useful. Um, and you know, any change we make to our habits has cascading second order effects to everything else we do. And so I was already noticing, hey, all of a sudden I'm not on social media. I'm a guy who like, loves living behind the computer and letting inbound dictate, you know, my relationships, I realized, oh, all of a sudden I've lost touch with all the people that I care about because I'm not as visible with them. And so that has created this new habit where just simply every day I reach out to someone, tell them I was thinking about them and that I care about them and say, hey, is there anything I can do? You know, if you want to hop on a call, I would love that. And just like that simple habit has gone a long way to not only like eliminating some isolation, which would be natural from just kind of cutting off, you know, the surface area that I had of interacting with my friends, um, but it, it allows me to feel useful. And they like said, I think depression is a function of having too much kind of a narcissistic focus, how this affects me, what am I doing to it versus like, how can I be helpful? 
how can I help solve problems for others? And I, I did want to kind of bring it back to that because I think that's how, you know, we get through this um, in a better position is that we use this to reframe, say, hey, what am I in the best position to be doing? Not, I don't want to sell my product. I don't want to sell what I do. I want to keep my identity small as someone who solves problems for others, who is in service. And sometimes the best way to be in service is going to have to mold over time. Brilliant. And, you know, a big thing that I was pulling on as I was hearing you talk is that maximizing isn't the same as wisdom. And a lot of people for the first time are actually having to slow down. And I know for me, like I'm a little bit slower getting out of bed and I'm pretty slow getting out of bed in the morning. Trust me, I'm not, i never been a morning guy to jump out of bed. <laughs> like some of you, I think are in this, in this call, but, uh, like even I'm noticing when we're on those walks in the neighborhood, like people are just moving at like a little bit slower pace, even like I'm used to going to my office and having that separation between home and work. And now I'm at home. And after this, I'll go downstairs and play with my kids for a little bit. And so the world is, is even more integrated, at least for me, but I'm also having more time to, to be with myself and, and reflect. And I think a lot of people that are ripping and running and, are trying to be successful. Um, those are in air quotes for those that are going to listen to this on a podcast. Um, I think sometimes they miss those little moments in between life that are also beautiful. And so um, I, this is going to be the last question and then we'll, we'll wind down here. But is there a price to trying to maximize or is there a price of being so habitual um, that you're not able to adjust or, or shift when you're, you're in the fire or you're in a situation is can you over index on, on habit? And I'd be curious to get all your perspectives on that. And, and Jake, maybe we'll go with you, Alan, Darren, and Chris, and, and just, I want to get your perspective and then we'll, uh, we'll wind down. I would have to say, yes. I think if you are so rigid in that structure, you lose the ability for improv. And I think where most of life's happiness comes from those unexpected moments, those unexpected opportunities, uh, that if we're so rigid, so running, go, go, go. And we don't have that pause, which as you pointed out right now has created a great pause for a lot of individuals they get that reconnection, that opportunity to reconnect, spend more time with their kids, create new adventures or memories that if you're so stuck in that routine, you lose that opportunity. Alan? Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm just so loving this entire panel and discussion. I can't wait to go back and unpack some more of this. You know, uh, coming from my sport background, um, you know, when, when NBA players would finish the season, uh, and I know that would vary between teams that make the playoffs and don't make the playoffs and so forth. That can be several weeks difference. But for the most part, most players would just get away from the game for three to four weeks. I mean, they wouldn't pick up a basketball. They wouldn't pick up a weight. Um, you know, they, they would just kind of let their minds and their bodies heal. And then they would slowly start to ramp themselves back up so that by the time training camp was was ready, they were back to peak performance. And, and I'm trying to take that same approach with myself now. Uh, because generally speaking, I didn't really have an off season. I mean, I'm speaking year round, so I'm taking advantage. And I, I have no guilt in the fact that I haven't practiced my keynote over the last couple of weeks because I'm looking at myself as an athlete, even though I'm certainly not anymore, and saying, you know what, I'm going to let that let, let my body chill, let my mind chill, and then I'm going to slowly start to put a new routine together once hopefully we hear when the finish line to this may be. You know, 
Uh, I'm not anticipating someone's going to call and say, hey, Alan, we need you on stage tomorrow. I think they're going to say, hey, it looks like it'll be safe to have events in the fall. Can you re be ready October 1st? And I can build out a very methodical routine and plan to make sure by October 1st, I'm better than I've ever been. So that's the other thing is I, I don't want everyone to think, you know, during this time that everyone has to be productive every minute of every day. Like enjoy a little off season, enjoy a little downtime. There'll be time for you to get back to peak performance mentally, physically, and emotionally um, over time. So, so do that guilt-free. Enjoy a little bit of Netflix. Enjoy playing with your kids. There'll be time to get yourself back where you need to be personally and professionally. That's great. Yeah, I can tell you um, the one thing that I struggled with when I went from professional baseball to the University of Notre Dame is that I experienced no offseason. Like, because there's always a sport because I was working with uh, all 26 different teams, you know, 14 different sports there. And I was so wired to go really, really hard for eight and a half months. And then you get three and a half months to just go, oh, you know, and then ramp back up and go really, really hard again. And so, uh, you know, again, at, at at the collegiate level for me working across all sports, there was no off season. And so, um, yeah, like, you know, it's weird for me right now because the cycle of my life has always been April. It's like, let's go, let's go. We just came off an off season. So that's been a, a challenge to say the least, but um, yeah, I think it's awesome for, for us all to have this quote unquote off season per se that we all can work on ourselves um, and really reflect and, and recenter and recalibrate kind of what's most important. And I think it's, it's helpful uh, for tons of people. I talked with um, uh, a coach that I used to work with. I mean, she's a hall of fame coach and she's outstanding. And, she, and we are talking about how much we've enjoyed or she's enjoyed this solitude um, and how, you know, we're talking about uh, for her, at least work at the college level, how she can implement this every year going forward, almost like this, you know, three to four week quote unquote quarantine where, you know, she can just get away and work on herself. And so I think it's really, um, really valuable for, for people right now to understand like, Hey, it's okay to, again, like Alan said, not be productive every minute of every day. Like that's okay. Um, I was joking with a, a friend of mine who works with the blue Jays and we were talking about, um, like, is it okay to suck at stuff? You know? Um, and you know, like I'm a terrible swimmer, but I love swimming because no one can call me. No one can bother me. I can get underwater and it's just a beautiful thing, you know? And, but if you watch me swim, you're like, what is that exactly? You know, and we can have funny stories about it later, but um, I, I don't want to get better at it. I just don't, you know, I just, I love the way I do it and I'm fine with it, you know? And so it's just one of the, and so we're just, anyway, and then he brought up the question I thought was really insightful. He said, you know, if you're, um, if you're trying to form a habit, like I'm going to mess this up because it was so good and I'm not as smart as him, but uh, ultimately he said, like, if you're trying to form a habit and you have to force yourself over and over and over to do it, um, is it still self-care along those lines, you know, cause it's like, and I just thought like, Oh wow. Like that's because we know things are, are good for us. You know, example, we were talking about like reading, I got to read every night for 30 minutes, you know, and you hate it, but you're like, I know it's good for me. And I'm just going to keep forcing myself, you know, but then we say, Hey, practice self-care. And you're like, well, where is that? You know? So anyway, just something interesting to chew on. But um, yeah, I, I do think, you know, I, I hope the benefit from all this is that we all realize the importance of having, having an off season and a time to work on yourself for sure. And so much to unpack. Uh, so, so I, clearly the, the, there's an importance in performance to these rest sprint cycles and to be sensitive to the necessary seasonality, cyclicality of life and that there are going to be times that are, are, are off season. And 
I think that improvement in anything is proportional to the tightness of feedback loops. And so we've been talking a lot today about planning. We've been talking about experimentation. So, you know, we track, we try things, we see what works and we see whether we want to double down or stop doing things. And I think now is really an important part for time to talk about the third part of that improvement feedback loop, which is reflection. So, you know, what's going on with us right now? What's working? What's not working? Um, and I think it's really important to leverage these natural cycles where times are slower, where we have a little bit more separation from what we're doing in order to reflect on what's working and what's not working. And I think that that's the key to, um, you know, be able to perform at a high level when you are on the field. Um, something I like to say a lot in poker is that it doesn't matter how good your A game is. It matters how often you're able to play. And that comes from that ability to step outside yourself and determine, you know, what's proportion, what's, what's a condition that allows me to perform at my best, this kind of offsite work. And, you know, just from a mental perspective, like mental game is the separator from those who have the best results versus those who are just the most skilled at the end of the day, results are all that matters. And it's, realizing that the results of any particular day of any particular game do not matter that this is just an arbitrary container that we that create around this time period and say like like oh i didn't do well today and we're 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 comparing ourselves to this anchor of where we were at our best and that creates this this paralyzation effect and so i always recommend close the container it's like, don't worry about the last game. Don't worry about the last season. We're set to zero. This is day zero. This is the first game of the season. Like wherever you are, think about how you can get a little bit better for tomorrow. And that's the key is like, everyone's going to have bad days. Everyone's going to have bad weeks or months right now. But like wherever you are, think about how can I get one step further? And if you can, you can have that meta habit of making a small improvement every day, like anything is achievable. Man, so <laughs> there's just so much awesome meat listening to the four of you. And it's been really, really fun and, and interesting. And Darren, I, I'm going to take what you are doing with your kids with me and, and we're going to make it happen. So um, I want each of you to close with just one insight that you have that you can take with you um, from this conversation, one insight that you gleaned or gained. Um, and uh, also where people can learn more about you, whether it's social media or a website, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, for me, there's this idea of the unknown and the beautiful things that happen in the unknown. And I heard it over and over again. And Chris, you were just articulating that we all create these games. Business is just a game we created, sports, poker, uh, speak. Like we just create these games to make us feel alive and to, um, to feel. And for me, at least, I'm always looking to develop a relationship with the unknown. And one of my past podcast panels that we did was with people, one had post-traumatic stress after being in the military. Another had been shot in the face after 9-11 because he was a Muslim and survived. Another had gone through cancer. And then after getting done with cancer, he needed a heart transplant. He got a heart transplant. Now he runs Ironmans. Um, the other was 17 years old and was playing football. And uh, Alan, you'll appreciate this at Georgetown Prep, right up the street from us, uh, went to make a tackle. He's going to be a division one football player, paralyzed. Um, he's now in, you know, an electric wheelchair and is in Baltimore doing amazing things. And all of them talked about, we all are going to die. Um, they all just have faced death um, 
in, in the eye. And they talked about how facing death in the eye made them less afraid of the unknown. And so they're no different from us and going back to comparison because we all are facing death every day. We could get hit by a bus. We could get the virus and die. Like none of us are immune. No one's ever ever lived forever. And to Chris's point, we just create these games to keep us stimulated and hopefully leave this world a little better than we found it. Um, So for me, that just reinforced the relationship with the unknown. What habits can I still, what new habits can I instill? And I think one of the beautiful things that Darren, you did in April is you said, hey, April 1st hits, I know this is going to be at least a month. Like there's known, now there's a known quantity. And within that known quantity, you started to create a habit. And so while there is always going to be unknown, there are still certainties and there are still things that we can do with our time and how we, how we leverage it. So that's what's bubbling up to the surface for me. So I want to thank you all for pulling that out of me. Jake, what's one insight? And then also let people know where they can find you. Yeah, I would have to echo off of what Chris just kind of closed with because like you, I, I, I'd say it's my type A, but I like control. And so this has been a pure test of dealing with uncertainty because we don't know what that end date is. And so what am I just as a continual, continual habit of, of competing, how am I just focused on improvement and not beating myself up for not getting after something today or not being as productive? Um, and then dealing with just the baggage, carry stress weight of not knowing when this is going to end and just being okay with the unknown and the unexpected and just focusing on today. Um, That's kind of been my big takeaway. Obviously, like Alan, I'm going to go back through. I've got some notes I've been taking here, uh, but want to go back through for some more. To get connected with me, uh, check out our apparel or my book, which will be out June 1st, uh, competeeveryday.com. And like you said, I am definitely on Twitter. So say hi. Uh, would love to connect. Alan? Wow, so much stuff to unpack. Uh, I think the the most tweetable thing that I heard that I loved was uh, emotions are there to inform us, not to direct us. Uh, I think especially now when our, our emotional, we're all on an emotional roller coaster. And even the most optimistic of us can wake up and be a little bit down in the dumps with the current state of affairs or or maybe overnight you forget that this is even happening and you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I forgot. We're, we're still doing this, aren't we? Um, so I, I love that. But, but each of these fine gentlemen shared so many really good things that I'll go back and put pen to paper later uh, now that I've got the time, um, I think is incredibly helpful. And, and I always choose to look at the world in many opportunities as, as through a binary filter. And, and I think that whenever this is over and whenever we get back to normal, whatever those things mean, Um, we have an opportunity to either be better or worse mentally, physically, emotionally, and and spiritually, if that's appropriate, than we are at present. And and I hope that folks um, take the self-care measures to make sure that whenever this is over, you're a little bit better than you were in some area of your life. Like take this off season that we should look at as a gift because most people outside of athletes don't get an off season and be very thankful for it and use that wisely. Uh, if you want anything on me, you can just go to allensteinjr.com. Uh, if you go to allensteinjr.com backslash free, I have a whole bunch of free resources that I, I hope would help people in this time of need. Uh, and if you're interested in the book, you can just go to raiseyourgamebook.com. And I'm at Allenstein Jr. on all the major social platforms. So uh, thanks, Brian, for your leadership and for your friendship, man. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Alan. Darren? Yeah. Again, I was taking notes during this entire thing. and I can't wait to, to go back and, and, and take even more on things that I missed. But I, I think for me, the, the biggest takeaway 
it's just how can we be others focused? I know Jake mentioned being a resource. Alan talking about how, how we can go serve others right now. Um, Chris, I love what you said. I've never heard this before. Depression is too much of a narcissistic focus. Like, how does this always impact me? And I think um, it's so easy to be inward focused right now, especially with social distancing in place and, and feeling isolated. Like, what else is there to focus on other than ourselves, you know? And so I think just being more intentional in that. And it's something that uh, one thing that I've been, uh, I don't know why I'm wrestling with this, but um, and I'm ashamed to say that I've never donated blood before. And, and I know right now there's a uh, huge need for that. You know, I've even read about there's, you know, over 13,000 blood drives have been canceled, over 400,000 less donations across the country in the past month. And so um, in an opportunity to be others focused, you know, I'm, uh, as soon as we get off this, I'm signing up and I'm going to go do that because I think all of us were looking for ways like, how can we serve? How can we do this? And so, um, yeah, so I just appreciate uh, all of you challenge me in this and, you know, being in sports, I'm always looking for physical challenges anyway, you know, and it's like, instead of giving advice, I want to give blood in this next, uh, you know, by the week's end or whenever I can do that. So, uh, thank you for that, Brian. Thanks for putting this together. And, um, uh, oh yeah, where you can find me. Uh, I'm semi-active on, on Twitter and Instagram, you know, Twitter, it's at McMaines DMAC, um, Instagram, it's DMAC underscore mindset. So, uh, yeah, it, it's more interesting when baseball's going on, you know, but um, yeah, if you want to find me, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Chris? So many good takeaways today. I mean, something that I am really thinking about um, still is this idea of fear as a symptom for uncertainty. And there's clearly a lot of uncertainty in the world right now, and that's not going to change anytime soon. But habits are a way of focusing on what's under our own control, as Jake said, and that we can't control what happens in the world. We can't control the news. Like our, our stimuli are continually going to change, but what we can control is our reaction to it. Both, you know, what do we do? How do we act? Um, but, you know, what, what are the questions that we ask ourselves when things change, you know, that we have control of these habits. And so bringing our attention to them, making them explicit, we can perform better no matter what comes at us. Um, so yeah, my name is Chris Sparks. Um, my company is The Forcing Function. Um, I would direct you to two places if you're interested in learning more. Uh, first, I have a free 100-page workbook where I outline my approach and walks you through my process of creating habits and routines. Um, so this is, you know, my distilled version of what I've learned in the past five years working with high performers. You can follow step by step and install the same habits that they have. Um, right now, it's especially tough to know, you know, where to start. And there's so many places we can we can improve ourselves. You know, what where does it make sense to start? And so I have a what I call a performance assessment. And so this, the idea of this is to illuminate your biggest opportunity for improvement where it makes sense to get start installing habits right now. So that workbook can be downloaded for free at theforcingfunction.com slash workbook. And the performance assessment can be taken for free also at theforcingfunction.com slash assessment. Um, and I would say the best way to get in touch with me would be via email these days. Um, that's chris at theforcingfunction.com. Um, you know, I hope all, all of you guys on the panel and anyone listening that this is just the start of a conversation that we can continue offline. So please reach out.
Thank you all for your time. Really appreciate it. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And you can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. Fellas, great to see you all. Hope we can see each other in person one day sometime soon. Uh, Be well, be healthy, be safe. Um, Look forward to talking to you all soon. Thanks, Brian.